Hey everybody, I'm glad you've tuned in today. My name is Jeff and uh, you're listening to Mavericks and Misfits as you know. Some of you have tuned in for the very first time and we just want to say thanks. Glad that you found us and I uh, hope for all of you that are regular listeners that you're continuing uh, to be fed. This is an incredible time in my opinion for us to be followers of Jesus Christ in America. It's just an amazing time. It seems on the one hand that, um, let's just call it for what it is, evil is abounding. It's undeniable that the aggressiveness of those that love darkness is getting more and more intense. We see it everywhere. We especially see it in the realm of uh, sexuality here in the United States in America. And um, I'm assuming it's probably similar uh, wherever you might be listening if you're not here in the U.S. But uh, just the, in, the intense um, forceful advancement of um, all sorts of sexual perversions and then the massive uh, confusion and the uh, cultural narrative about gender. And then I think for me, the most alarming thing, because I'm, I'm used to the, the, the whole, you know, the whole morass of ideas on sexuality. That's, that's not new at all. Uh, but what is interesting to me is that beyond the issue of homosexuality, beyond the issue of um, gender identity, is this intense um, agenda, and let's call it that, and the agenda to indoctrinate children at an incredibly young age with these uh, hellish ideas about sexuality. That's what's probably got my attention the most in the last year or two um, is just that, I mean, it's right there in front of you. They're going after our children. They want parents out of the educational system. They want to be able to decide for um, our children what our children will be exposed to, um, what they're going to learn, what they're not going to learn, what's going to be repackaged, reframed. And you have to be an individual that has your head buried in the sand to deny the intentional agenda and hardcore advancement of um, a ungodly um, infusion of education into our children. It's just right there. And, um, you know, my, my kids are grown. We're empty nesters. But, um, it, you know, I'm going to have grandkids one day. And I'm thinking, who's going to be in charge of filling my grandchildren's minds? And <laughs> Amy and I will do whatever it takes so that our kids are not in the government school system. Um, but some people don't have that option, so they have to send their kids uh, to government schools, public schools. And um, I'm just saying if you are a parent or you're going to be a parent or if you're a grandparent, you, you need to work diligently at counterbalancing um, the terrible stuff that's getting pumped into the, the minds of our children in those formative years. I mean, it, it is a radical agenda and it's going to be, um, interesting to say the least about what, what our, our world's going to look like when those now four and five year olds that are beginning to be indoctrinated when they're 18, 19 and 20 years old, what do you think they're going to be? Especially in the absence. And this is what I want to talk about today in the absence of power, spiritual Holy Ghost power that is not being displayed among Christians in our churches in the big C church here in America. Do you remember when the apostle Paul was um, writing to the church at Corinth 
and one of the things that he said, he actually said it two different ways. In chapter 2, the apostle, he was talking to the Corinthians in his introduction in chapter 2, and he, he was reminding them that when he was with them earlier, at an earlier time, he came to them in what they would have considered weakness and fear and trembling. So Paul was saying, yeah, on the outward, I was humble among you. I wasn't arrogant. I wasn't cocky. I had the fear of the Lord on me. He's talking about the trembling. He had no confidence in self. By the way, just real quick, there's a difference between being confident in your flesh versus walking with a godly confidence. When I say self-confidence, I'm talking about something that's detached from knowing who you are in your identity and knowing who you are in your mission. That should breed a holy confidence, but not self-confidence. We should have no no self-confidence. Paul said, there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. But Paul also went on to say in 1 Corinthians 2, he told them that his speech and his message that he shared with them was not in um, like eloquence and man's wisdom. But he said this, pardon me. He said, I didn't have all of that outward stuff that you Corinthians are so impressed by. But then he reminded him, he goes, but I demonstrated to you Holy Spirit power. Paul said, yeah, y'all, y'all are impressed with the junk on the outside. I don't carry any of that. But if you'll remember correctly, my Corinthian friends, I came to you with the power of God on my life. And of course, you know, as an apostle, um, he had incredible power and it was from the Holy Spirit. And then he would say a couple of chapters later in that famous verse in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he said, the kingdom of God does not consist in words or talk, but in power. Now, guys, that to me is a penetrating statement. Because the Apostle Paul hit on something that the American church ignores. And where there, there, are, there are clearly pockets of revival that are breaking out. I mentioned earlier all the nastiness in the culture. But on the other hand, we're also starting to see some pretty uh, undeniable outbreaks of God's power in certain places. It's been going on for five years in the North Georgia revival in Dawsonville, Georgia. And it's going on in other places, out in Malibu, California. It's going on um, in Kentucky in a couple of places, not only in Asbury, but the West Kentucky Revival. And there are probably dozens, scores of places that I don't know about personally. But we're seeing a lot of um, wonderful stuff happening in the kingdom because in certain places, the power of God is being demonstrated again. But sad to say, for the most part, <clears throat> I got a little frog in my throat today, for the most part, um, the kingdom of God is being displayed, as Paul said, it shouldn't be displayed. What am I talking about? In word only and not in power. Where's the power of God gone? That's a question we need to ask. Uh, that's a question as a, as a leader. I'm a leader in a church. I'm wondering where are the displays, the sustained displays of power? The fact of the matter is, is that they are not very frequent and they don't seem to last very long. Now, Never do I want to be a guy who becomes like the negative dude about the church. And so when I consistently speak on what is lacking in the church, I'm not doing it throwing stones. I'm not doing it sitting on the sidelines mocking. I'm talking to Mavericks and Misfits listeners. And one of the reasons that you keep tuning in is because I'm saying the things that we need to hear in order to reform our churches. 
Because if nobody keeps and nobody ever talks about what's wrong with the church, it allows the church in America, the big C church and all of the little C churches, it allows for us to continue fooling ourselves by saying, yeah, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. And we're being exactly who God wants us to be. And I don't think that's true at all. And I don't think you that are listening believe that either. Why? Because listen, we've got our doctrines down for the most part. Um, at least the circles I run in, you know, I run with people with good, sound biblical doctrine. It doesn't mean we agree on every point, but it just means we've got Jesus in the center. We've got his second coming as our motivation. We've got his love fueling our ministry to people that they may come into the kingdom. And we believe in the authority of the written word of God so that we're building people up. Most of the people I've run with will sign off on all those. Um, but, but here's the thing. We've got our theology. We've got the word, but where's the power? It reminds me of that uh, gospel account. Um, Mark chapter number nine is the one that I, the representation of this account. It's in other gospels, but Mark chapter number nine. Do you remember, it's right after the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. His glory begins to shine through um, his humanity Remember, he's up there and Moses and Elijah appear and they're talking with their Lord and Peter sees it and he's flipping out and he's like, we got to build some tents. We're all going to hang out here, me and Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And God, the father speaks out over Peter and he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, be quiet, be quiet. You don't need to have a voice in this moment. And so, you know, Peter and the other two fall on their face. And then um, when they open their eyes, Moses and Elijah are gone. But Jesus is still shining with this radiance of glory. And so it was an amazing worship scene. And um, then they come down off the mountain. And you can look at this in Mark chapter 9, around verse 14, 15, it starts there. And they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. There at the bottom of the mountain are the other nine disciples, and they're fighting with the religious people. They're arguing. The scribes are mocking and provoking and messing with the other nine disciples. So Jesus walks up, and he, he asks them, and he says, what, what's, what's going on here? What in the world is happening here? And this man says to Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples because he's demonized and the demon is harming him. He, he gets shredded. He gets seized. He gets sapped. He lays down flat after this demon has its way with him. And um, I brought him to your disciples because I hear you guys cast out demons, but your disciples can't get this demon out of my son. Let me pause here for a second. That is to me a picture of where the church is right now. Like we're having all these mountaintop worship moments. Like we're getting into the glory. We get in our, we get in our buildings. We go to our conferences. We're in revival. We, we, we see all these meetings and like, hopefully this is happening at your church. It's happening a lot where I pastor. It's happening in other churches that I visit. And I, I love the intense worship moments. I love when the Holy Spirit moves among the people of God. I love when the glory falls and we are, you know, on our face before the Lord and experiencing the kavod, the, the measure of his glory that he releases that brings us down um, on our faces. Those are incredible times. And I'm a little bit like Peter. I'm like, oh, can't we just stay here in this moment? Let's just stay right here in this moment. But you got to come down off of the worship top mountain experiences because at the bottom of the mountain are people that have needs. 
the demonized, the afflicted, the oppressed, the lost, people that are abused and abusers, people that are uh, caught up in the the demonization of a dead religion that is only about man's letter of the law and stupid mindless traditions that don't have anything to do with the gospel. Those people are at the bottom of the mountain needing our help. So when we come down off those amazing worship experiences and we come down and then all of a sudden we realize, oh, our worship experience on top of the mountain has a lot more potency than our need to have ministry power to deliver people from the grip of the devil. Because that's what happened. Jesus comes down off the mountain with Peter, James, and John. The other nine disciples are operating outside of the power that they've been granted. Guys, this is, this is important. So when, when I think of these things, I'm saying to myself, um, wh- wh- why are we operating at a less than power? What, what, you know, why are we coming beneath our potential? You know, when, you, when you're thinking of potential, think of that. What is the church's potential? What is your potential? What is your home church's potential? Potential is just, it refers to that possibility or that potential. Well, I can't use potential to define potential, but potential speaks of like capacity that you can, you can have, a, a, a possibility that can become actuality. That's what potential is. And guys, we're coming beneath our potential as believers. We're just not operating in the power that God has. And that's what Jesus encountered when he came down off the mountain. So you've got this man who's got a demonized son and he's like, hi, Jesus, my name's whatever, so-and-so. I'm desperate. My son is demonized. It's tormenting him. It's killing our family. And you guys are supposed to be the ones that cast out demons. We've seen you do it. But I came to your disciples and they can't do a thing here. It's pretty, pretty humbling, right? And Jesus looks at the man, looks at his son, looks at the crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees that are smugly sitting there smiling because Jesus' disciples have failed and have no power. And Jesus, that's where Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? How long am I going to be with you? So in other words, he groans because nobody there has faith. Jesus has been pouring into his disciples and, and he goes away for a mountaintop experience, comes back, and they, they're not operating in the power that he had already given them. So, you know, Jesus was displeased. Can I say that and not scare some of you off because y'all always think of happy Jesus and never Jesus that throws over tables or, you know, ask people why, why aren't they faith? Why don't they have faith or rebukes, you know, like religious people? Jesus didn't always go around with some plastic waxy smile on his face. No, he was upset. And he says, you guys are faithless. This whole generation is faithless. And he was displeased with like the scribes resistance. The scribes were there and the Pharisees and they're mocking. He was displeased the fact that they're, they're resisting salvation, that that father is despondent about the healing that wasn't coming. And the disciples are impotent in ministry. They have no power. And it's not that they didn't have the authority. They had the authority. They had seen and used the power, but in this case, for whatever reason, and he's going to allude to it later, they just weren't ready to cast out this demon. They didn't have the power. And, and so 
Jesus looks at the situation. All this is happening rapidly. And you can just imagine the other nine disciples, you know, shuffling their feet, looking down at the ground like, yeah, we blew it. And now the scribes that, who oppose us, they treat us as enemies. They're, they're laughing at us because the church has no power. Um, by the way, don't think for a second that that doesn't go on um, in our culture. Like, our sermons don't impress anybody. It, they really don't. And listen, I'm going to keep preaching till the day I die if God will let me. But our sermons don't impress unbelievers. They, they, they've been hearing our sermons forever. Do you know what this world needs to see? A manifestation of the undeniable supernatural Holy Ghost power. Dunamis. And so Jesus says, bring that boy to me. And as they're bringing the boy to Jesus, that demon inside of the boy knows his time is up. And so it begins to shred this kid throwing him on the ground he's foaming at the mouth that's what it says in mark 9 he's foaming at the mouth he's on the ground and the father freaks again and he looks at jesus this time and he says if you can do anything help us now let's pause here for a minute because of the disciples lack of power this man is now doubting jesus this man looks to Jesus as his son's getting shredded by this demon. And he says to Jesus, if you can, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, if, if, he says, if you can believe all things are possible to the one that believes. Jesus looks at him and goes, if I can do anything? No, sir, the if is not on me. The if is on you. Because if you will believe anything is possible. And that's where that man does something incredible. And this may need to be, this may need to be the, the repentance point of the church right now. Because this man got raw and honest. He says, Lord, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. I think his confession right there is something the church needs to go ahead and just own it. Lord God, we do believe, Lord, but clearly we don't believe at the level that welcomes your power to be sustained on us. Lord, we believe you can, but God, apparently we're not so sure you will. Lord, we don't doubt the potential of you, but God, we're, we're doubting something because your, your potential through us has not become actual. Um, you know, let me, let me, while this, this man in Mark nine's confessing, let me just confess to you, perhaps one of the greatest grievances that I carry in my spirit on a regular basis is that I have never operated in sustained Holy ghost, supernatural power. What do I mean by that? You may not like me confessing that because we like to think of those that lead and teach and preach to us. We like to think of them as superheroes. Well, there aren't any. There's just people that are in greater depths of dependence upon the Lord, therefore experience greater power from the Lord. But there's no superheroes. And when, when I look at my life, I see God's touch on many, many areas of my life. I see God's supernatural power on my life. But the one area where I have never had sustained power flowing through me is in the area of healing. Um, I think I've been involved in less than 10 healings in 28 years of walking with Jesus. I myself have been involved, as far as I know, 
in less than 10 healings. I pray all the time over people for healing. And maybe some of them got healed and I never heard, but I only know of probably about eight or nine people in in 30 years that when I put my hands on them and declared in faith that whatever was afflicting them was going to be broken off, um, that's not an awesome track record. And you can think whatever you want to think about me, but here's the thing. I'm not just sitting here shrugging on it. I'm saying, God, this is wrong. This is not who you are. This is not who we are. This is not how the church should be. This is not how her leaders should be. And so God help us. Now, I have seen deliverance power, um, deliverance from demon. I've seen that in my life. I, I, have, I don't know why I have greater faith to break demonic strongholds off of people than I do to see them healed. And here's, here's the thing that grieves me. I don't think God is withholding one or the other from any of us. I just think that's our, our inheritance, but something's wrong. Something's broken. Let me ask you, shouldn't there be healings in every service? Shouldn't there be healings in places where we go to homes and hospitals? Shouldn't we be able to cast every demon out of every single person? The answer is yes. The answer is undeniably yes. We have the authority. We have the power. But there is a clog in the pipe because the power seems to get stuck in us instead of regularly flowing out from us. And so this man prays and cries out to Jesus what I think all of us need to probably consider doing Lord, we do believe. It's not, a, it's not an issue of whether or not we believe, but Lord, there's some unbelief in us at some level that is clogging the pipe. And so Jesus takes charge of that moment in Mark 9. The man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus says, I'm about to. <laughs> I'm about to help your unbelief. Watch this. And so he rebukes the spirit. He says, I, I command you to that demon, come out of the boy. And eventually the, the boy, he gets rocked, by the way. That demon violently exits that boy and leaves him listless, lying on the ground, seemingly unconscious to the point where the people standing there are saying, Jesus, whatever you just did, killed this kid. But then Jesus reaches down, he takes him by the hand, he lifts him up and the boy stands up on his feet. I love that. Here comes the son of God. You want heroes? <laughs> There's your only hero. There are no superstars in the church. There's just the one who is the bright morning star is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Jesus comes in, in this chaotic scene where nothing was going well. And Jesus finishes the job that the disciples couldn't finish. So the scribes were fighting, but it says, but Jesus, <laughs> The disciples were failing, but Jesus, the devil was, you know, tormenting the kid, but Jesus. And that dad was floundering in his pitiful, you know, struggle, but Jesus, but Jesus. So I would say that, yeah, um, I'm not giving up on anybody. I'm not giving up on the potential to become actual for you and I to be flowing in Holy Spirit, God-given power to heal. 
Now, be careful here because some people will say, and, and they want to explain away their lack of maybe power. They'll say, well, yeah, but God's gifted me in this area and I'm, fa- I'm maximizing in this area. I'm maximizing in this area. Well, I'm quite confident that God has gifted you and I in specific areas. And maybe those areas are more anointed than this issue of healing. But friends, if, if God has offered the church the power to heal and cast out devils and raise the dead for crying out loud. Like either that stuff went away and he doesn't do it anymore or it's still possible. It's still within us through the Holy Spirit. And you can't just pick and choose and say, well, God doesn't do that, but he still does this. And God doesn't do that, but he still does this. You can't say, well, God just honors preaching and saves sinners, but he doesn't heal anymore. Well, where'd you find that in the Bible? You didn't. Somebody spoon-fed you that lie, and you, you digested it. Regurgitate that thing. Get that out of you. And I don't want to be the guy that says, yeah, man, I've got an anointing on my teaching and my preaching and my leadership, but I don't, you know, I'm just going to go to my grave never seeing, um, you know, frequent, regular healings or raising the dead for that matter. Yeah, I'm not going to ever settle beneath the potential that God has offered us. And so I'm speaking today to stir some of you up. I'm, I'm preaching to me too, but I'm trying to say some of you out there are just, you're, you're, you're living in that, that I believe and I've settled with my unbelief. I like the fact that the man acknowledged his unbelief, but didn't stay there. He's, he's like, oh yeah, it's not right for me to believe partially. I'm, it's not right for me to be double-minded about what Jesus can do. It's not right for me to believe in a possibility that, but never press in for the actuality. And sadly, because of a misappropriation of the doctrine of God's sovereignty, a lot of people are just saying, well, if God wants to heal, God will heal. And if somebody doesn't get healed, it's because God didn't want them to get healed. And I'm thinking, you're going to have a hard time making a biblical case for that. Maybe we ought to consider God wants to heal them, but we don't have enough of whatever it takes to get in the secret place, stay there, and come out of the secret place with the anointing and the flowing power to put our hands on people and expect God to heal them instantly. But Jesus, <laughs> oh Lord, we need you. Don't, don't we need him? Don't you need him? I mean, don't you, do you believe that God could use you? Do you believe God wants to? Do you believe that you are right now maxing out every single attribute of God that he makes available to work through you? Of course you don't believe that. And you hear me all the time. If you're a regular listener to this or you follow our messages on transformingtruth.org, you, you, you know that I talk all the time about pressing in. Pressing in. It's not some charismatic statement. It's actually just a pulse in my spiritual veins. We have to keep pressing in. We have to keep drawing near. We have to decrease. We have to go low. We can't just keep talking about God and not put on display his supernatural power through us. Because we're, we're living in a culture that's very much like um, this scene in Mark 9, where the culture is looking at us and saying, y'all preach all the time. Y'all have more cliches than any group of people on earth. Y'all have got your charismatic, Christianized lingo. You got your little houses of worship. You got your little cool band. You got your lights. This is what the culture says. And, and the culture is so over it. I'm not looking to please the culture. I'm looking to go after and into the culture and bring them into the kingdom. But we're going into the culture without the power of the kingdom. Therefore, the culture doesn't think much of the kingdom. 
But if we will leave our little mountaintop experiences where we want to make our perpetual tents and be there in the glory cloud, if we'll leave those and come down and get at the bottom of the mountain and say, Jesus, there's demons down here. Jesus, there's sickness down here. Jesus, there's depravity down here. Jesus, there is unbelief down here. If we'll come out of our mountaintop worship moments and we'll get at the foot of the mountain and we'll walk straight into the demonic nest and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, let all affliction, all demonization, all all mental illness, all sexual dysfunction, all gender dysphoria come out of these people in the name of Jesus. You mean to tell me you don't think that he'll show up with power? Part of the problem, I got to wind up here, but part of the problem is we just learned to live without the power. And we hide in our church services. And we have little glimpses of power that we're just kind of spilling on each other. Instead of leaving those church services, going out to the foot of the mountain and finding the demonized ones or the lost ones or the sick ones, or for that matter, the scribes, the religious ones. And introducing all of those people to the Jesus that breaks change. He snaps off manacles. He sets the captives free. A little bit later on in Mark 9, after Jesus delivers that boy, the disciples are alone with Jesus again. And they just asked him. And they're probably embarrassed, maybe even a little ashamed, but Jesus is not an, you know, he's not an orchestrator of shame. He, that's not how he operates. But they asked him, they said, how come we couldn't cast the demon out of that kid? And Jesus looks at him. And depending on what translation of the Bible you use, modern translations leave off the word fasting, but um, earlier manuscripts, they, they have his answer. When the disciple says, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus says, oh, that kind of demon? Nothing will get that demon out except prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. I want to challenge you. Start fasting again. Like, I just challenge you, and I can't, I, I'm just so reluctant to tell you how often to fast and all that. But I don't think that it would disappoint the Lord if you fasted for a 24-hour period at least every week. You just take one day, and you're just doing liquid. You're not doing food. And during that time, you make sure you spend a lot of time in prayer. Maybe you can fast three days a week. Maybe you can fast a 10-day fast, a 21-day fast, a 40-day fast. You wouldn't be the first one. But there's a measure of power that will not come to the church apart from fasting and praying. I mean, Jesus's words let us know that there's just certain spiritual victories that can't be gained except through prayer and fasting. There's going to be certain people that we want to see delivered from sin, and it's not going to happen unless we pray and fast that they might be free. There's certain strongholds that can only be torn down through prayer and fasting. I mean, let's not just escape what we just saw in Mark 9. There's certain children that are only going to be rescued and made whole through parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, praying and fasting for those children. And good night, man, in our culture that we're living in, let's just go ahead and say it. There's certain levels of evil that cannot be disintegrated except the church prays and fasts. Why? Because there's only, there's certain power in the spirit that can only be activated by prayer and fasting. 
We're just not going to be able to get around of it. Um, this is where we're living right now. I, th- I think the Holy Ghost is calling us to come down from the mountaintop place where we'd like to pitch a tent and stay there. He's calling us to come down from those, fast and pray, go to the foot of the mountain and get people saved, get people delivered, get people healed. You may not like the way that I said that, but I'm placing some of the responsibility on us. Quit hiding behind the doctrine of sovereignty that shrugs in the face of afflicted people and says, well, God will set them free if he wants to. No, God has ordained that we are his body. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands of Christ. We are the ones that are supposed to be setting people free. And I've already told you, I'm somewhere between desperate and frustrated that more of this is not happening in my life. I'm not in a competition. I'm not trying to be known as any guy that, you know, a healing minister. Listen, I'm just looking at people every single day of my life and saying, why aren't they healed? Why, when I prayed for this person for years, are they still not physically healed? And then why is it so easy on other times where I can walk up to somebody that I know has got a demon staring right back at me through their eyes and I can say, this show's over, this demon's about to go. Why do we have power for some things and not power for other things? And probably the better question is, how long are we going to live with it? All right, guys, I'm out of time today. I appreciate you tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Um, If you are interested in getting some other resources that we put out, don't forget about the host website, Mavericks and Misfits. It's under the umbrella of our media ministry, which is called Transforming Truth. You can go to transformingtruth.org, and um, you're going to find links there to our YouTube channel, our social media accounts. Um, There's just all sorts of resources. For those of you that actually still like to read, read, um, I write a blog there once every three or four weeks, and just some thoughts to kind of, my, my whole goal is to enrich your life spiritually. I'm not going to be the pastor guy that walks hand in hand with you, but I'll be a voice in your your life if you'll let me. Um, You you need a pastor. You need a shepherd. You need a mentor and all of that. I'm not in a season of my life where I can do one-on-one with a lot of people anymore. Um, And so what the Lord's telling me to do is maximize what he has given me. And most of the one-on-one ministry that I do is going to be at my local church or in Dawsonville at Caneo Ministry Training Center where I get to serve and I get to teach. So um, this is my way of trying to pour into you because this is what I believe will happen. I believe that your belief and the places where you have unbelief. When they meet my belief, maybe I'm helping you with your unbelief. Maybe when you're believing, you're helping me with my unbelief. Maybe together, you and I and the rest of the body of Christ can be those that fast and pray and we'll see a breakthrough revival that signals to the culture that Jesus Christ is alive and well and moving through his church. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, 
and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.